I want to continue teaching where we left off last week on these reality checks concerning dominion. Dominion over your body, dominion over your mind. We've been talking about dominion, and so we have domain or dominion over our soul, our mind, will, and our emotions. We're just going to lump it all together, call it all the same thing. We have dominion over our mind, our will, and our emotions. We'll call it the mind, we'll call it the heart, we'll call it the soul tonight. But I want to talk to us about getting dominion over emotions, and I want to review because the Bible says in Proverbs, as you think in your heart, so are you. So if you can't get a hold of your mind, you're going to have a horrible life. And to remind you again, this is all review. There's nothing super spooky about this. I hate super spooky. Yes, sir. I hate it. It's weird. There's no reality to it. And you'll never know when you step out of the Holy Spirit and into a demon spirit because you're too busy trying to be a mystic. Mysticism is not cool. It's demonic. We want to be grounded men and women of God who operate in the Holy Ghost. But 99% of what we do is going to be natural. Because if you didn't know, everything you do has to be done in this earth suit called a body that is subject to the laws of physics and science and chemistry and biology. So we ought to be really good at those things before we want to step out and be spiritual. So I've been teaching this reality check so we don't get to be weirdos. And some of you have been in charismatic so long, you're already weirdos. It's too late. And I'm trying to rein you in. <laughs> Amen. So as you think in your heart, so are you. So look at your life, and that's how you think. Look at your money. That's how you think. Look at your health. That's how you think. Look at what upsets you. That's how you think. Look at what stresses you. That's how you think. You have to get a hold of these things. Your brain is your dominion. It's six inches. Uh, hardly a square foot up there in between your ears. Master that square foot. By volume, it weighs about eight pounds, unless you're Pastor Caleb, and it's 12 to 15. That's a running joke we have. He says, amen. <laughs> Pastor Matt Kruchunas was in the army as well, and he has a huge head. And he says in the military, they have, you know, small, medium, large, and hey, come take a look at this guy's head. That's the, th that's the four sizes. <laughs> I took Kruchunas caving. We went over to Pastor Jim's house to try on helmets, and every one of the helmets just sat on the top of Kruchunas' head. He looked like a little Rudolph. And uh, great fun was had by all. But small, medium, large, and hey, come take a look at this guy's head. Your brain only weighs about eight pounds, or I guess that's your head total. That's all you have to master. And you can master it in the still of the night with a whisper. Peace be still. Shh, shut up. In Jesus' name, be quiet. And if you don't do that, there's hell to pay. And your mind will run away with you. And you'll ruin your life, you'll ruin your marriage, you'll ruin your kids, your career, your ministry, your health. And it's so simple. We ought to start, maybe we'll call this sermon the brain whisperer. <laughs> Shh. Just stop thinking. Look at, what, look at what thinking has done to you. We can't trust you with thoughts. Just stop. <laughs> we definitely can't trust you with emotions, so just don't do that either. And we know we can't trust you with wants, so just... Shh. Just walk around. Just, just walk. Breathe. Enjoy. Third John says you'll prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. So we got to get your soul prospering. That has nothing to do with money. Has every, the word means a good path, an easy journey. 
Life's hard enough as it is, but the Bible promises an easier journey. The Bible does still promise in this life you'll have tribulation and uh, uh, there's much evil. Affliction comes to the righteous, but out of them all the Lord will deliver you. So we have a promise of an easier road, and yet life is still afflicted. It rains upon the just and the unjust. You're here in Luke chapter 10, verse... Let's go Luke chapter 10. Let me throw this up in the NASB. Luke chapter 10. One of the things I want to talk to us tonight about are pinpointing stressors in our life. Because we have to nail those things down. Luke chapter 10. Let me see where I want to start. I'm going to pull this up in the NASB on my phone so I don't have to turn around and read this. Verse 38. In ASB. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village, Bethany, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. It's a good woman. It's a good idea. You should let Jesus come into your life. So let's, let's apply this, principalize it. And she had a sister called Mary, who was also seated at the Lord's feet, and he was, she, excuse me, she was listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do the serving by myself? Then tell her to help me. So she's commanding the Lord to command somebody else. But at least she asked the Lord into her life. I do want us to see right off the bat, you can invite the Lord into your life and totally miss the Lord. And you don't invite him into your life, no matter what TBN taught us. You don't invite the Lord into your house to boss him around. And you don't hear his sermons for somebody else. <laughs> because Martha's about to get nailed to the wall, as we all well know. And Mary's about to be honored. Just because you've invited the Lord into your house doesn't mean you've caught the picture. Doesn't mean you get it. Doesn't mean you ask him into your life or your heart for the right reasons doesn't mean you even attend church for the right reasons. But the Lord answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. Well, she was only doing one thing, but I believe he's seeing her whole life. This defines her. When you're a mess, you're never just a mess in one place. <laughs> when your life is a mess, it bleeds over into other areas. When your marriage is dysfunctional, it's going to bleed over to your job and to your health and to your money. It is very, very difficult to compartmentalize the core issues of life. And so you have to take note here. When he says you are worried and distracted about many things, it wasn't just serving in the home and being a good host, which is a good thing, and that's praiseworthy. It's one of the biblical graces of Romans chapter 12. It's a grace called hospitality, but obviously she's not working it for the right reasons. We have to stop and ask ourselves, where are we distracted and worried by many things? Now, the other ditch, like Ecclesiastes told us, the two extremes, is some people are just chill about everything. That's not a good person to be either. Well, my husband's just so laid back. I'm sorry. That means you have all the horsepower, sweetie. And that may suffice until a bigger stump comes along and you need more horsepower than you have, honey. And then you're going to wish your husband was not just so chill. 
because you can't chill a stump out of the ground. You got to pull that thing with some horsepower. So you always, ladies, you marry somebody with more horsepower than you. At the very least, an equal yoked horsepower. Otherwise, you end up pulling in circles. Amen. Well, he balances me. No, he just tells you you're pulling too hard to the right. Think about what would happen if he had more horsepower than you. You guys could pull equal together. Amen. He says this, and this is what I want to focus on for the rest of the night, though we'll look at a lot of different things. You're, you're distracted and worried about many things, but only one thing is necessary. Only one thing is necessary. Or, as the Greek says, one thing is needful. One thing is the necessity. And if Jesus Christ says only one thing is the necessity, then everything else in our life is unnecessary. And that is the heart of what the Lord is saying to Martha. Even though what she's doing is a good thing, even though what she's doing is a biblically commanded thing, and no doubt some of the many things she was doing that she was worried about were good things too, taking care of clothing and watering her livestock and maybe taking care of her husband and raising her children and being a good Jewess in the Israel and reading the Torah or going to the synagogue. These were all great things. But the Lord really distills all of our life down to one thing for us. And it's around that one thing we build everything else. One thing is the necessity. That means everything else is flushable. What we end up doing, though, is we make everything else the necessity and God is the variable. We know that the one thing that is ne the necessity is sitting at the feet of Jesus and receiving from him, fellowshipping with him, receiving his word. And that looks like a lot of different things as we principalize this. It's church attendance, it's worship, it's the Christian ministry, it's serving God, it's soul winning. It's the Christian life. But what modern Christians do and what we're tempted to do is make everything else the necessity. And the one thing Jesus said is premier, we kind of fill that in the cracks. So God becomes our spackling of life and not the cinder blocks with which we build. He says, uh, one thing is ne necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. So this is what we want to build from, because if we're talking about getting control over our brain, or having dominion over our thoughts or our emotions, what we're dealing with are stressors. And all these stressors arise yelling at us for our attention, and most of it can be solved by putting the necessity first. Now, necessity is not what your culture teaches necessity is. Necessity ain't what mama taught you necessity is. Necessity is what Jesus Christ teaches you necessity is. Otherwise, he's not our Lord. He can be Savior of your life, but not Lord. He can be the healer. He can be the Holy Ghost baptizer. He can be your teacher. He can be your advocate. He can be your guide. But unless Jesus Christ is premier and paramount above all things, he is not the necessity, and you have no right to call him Lord. Remember, he said, why callest thou me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you to do? I'll remind you again, the word Lord is the Greek word kurios, and it means he that owns and possesses another person. Used over 700 times, almost 95% of them are of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what it means is he is the master and we are his slave. Yes, that ought to be what describes 
our reputation and our relationship with him. But for most Christians, that is not it. He's our sugar daddy. We use him. TBN, which I don't have a problem calling out because the owners died perverts. TBN taught us to command Jesus to give us our blessing. I've come to get my blessing right now. I don't know what God you're talking about because I think if you were to come into the presence of God commanding your blessing, that might be the last thing we ever hear you speak on this planet because it's a fearful thing, a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You want to make sure you don't forget who's God. So let's reset this thing now. He's the necessity. He's the one necessary thing. And everything else in life is secondary and tertiary and quaternary. That just means second, third, and fourth place, which means it's all disposable. Remember, our Savior taught us that we might have to leave mom and dad one day. We, Jesus said, I'll tear your family apart. And Paul even came back and said, yep, if the unbelieving depart, sweetie, let them depart. You're not bound. That's a dissolution of a marriage. We call that divorce. Your kids, Jesus said, they'll turn you over to be murdered. So though we love our children and we're committed to them legally and spiritually till they're 18 or so, uh, even our children are, in a sense, disposable at some point because you don't live for the prodigal. You rebuke them in the name of the Lord and cast them out. Amen. You cast them out. Amen. Yeah. You kind of like just... Just imagine taking a little football called the prodigal and being biblical with that prodigal football and you just punt. That's what you do with prodigals if you want to make Jesus Christ Lord. Now you can harbor them and you can aid and abet them and you can have the judgment of God upon everything you touch because you're in violation of Scripture. That's what your culture and Oprah will teach you, but it's not what the Bible will teach you. The Bible teaches you to come out from among them, have no fellowship with them, mark them that cause divisions and offenses, and have no fellowship with them. That applies to blood relatives too. All right? So I'm trying to get us to a place where we can dominate our mind. A lot of the stress we're dealing with, you can't deal with till you eliminate the stressor. And wise people pinpoint that thing and eliminate it. It would be the equivalent of having a nail stuck through your arm because you had a contractor accident and you just keep popping medicine to make the pain go away, but you refuse to deal with the injury. You've got a gaping wound that's turned gangrenous. And rather than go to the hospital and let them wash it out and scrape it out and stitch it up, you just keep popping oxycodone or oxycotton to make the pain stop. This is what we're doing. We're trying to get some peace in our life without dealing with the stressors. And we're just, we've convinced ourselves that it can't be this, Lord. It can't be this. No, God wants me to have seven dogs. It can't be this, Lord. It can't be this. The Lord wants me to be a weirdo collecting trinkets and doodads. We've convinced ourselves or our culture has that God is not the necessary thing. Everything else is. And God has to bless it and give it to us. Hebrews 12.1, just write it down. It says, uh, therefore, seeing we are encompassed about by such a great a cloud of witnesses, let us therefore run with patience the race before us, laying aside every weight and sin that so doth easily beset us. Every weight and sin. 
Not everything in your life that hinders you is a sin. Some things are weights. The word weight is an interesting word. It, it produces this word called protuberance. And there's a word picture in the Greek. A protuberance just basically means you have such a load on your wagon, it begins to bulge. So a protuberance is anything that kind of bulges out. So this is a weight that causes your life to swell, which really means it's not streamlined. Now, doesn't that describe the American experience? Ain't nothing about America streamlined. When I canceled my move to the Philippines and had nothing left in my life but a car and a duffel bag, somebody said, you got nothing to show for your life now. And I remember saying, this is America. I'll find an apartment and it'll be packed full of junk in six months. I was wrong. It was about two and a half months. And I was protuberating out of that little apartment over off of 17th Street. This verse says, in a sense, it's implying you got to get rid of stuff that causes you to extend and lose your streamlining ability because it's weighing you down and you can no longer run smoothly and swiftly. Swimmers know this. That's why they wear those dolphin suits now and they shave their legs and they shave their beard and they'll put on skull caps so they can be streamlined. Cyclists do the same thing. You never see a cyclist win the Tour de France wearing a parka. Everything is a skin suit. And everything is all about performance. Even the tubes of their bikes are aerodynamic, like a foil, because it helps. Every little bit helps. Plus doping. Doping helps a lot too, apparently. <laughs> so maybe some of our stress is from things we shouldn't possess anymore. Friendships we shouldn't possess anymore. When is the last time you streamlined your life? We're going to look at a list here in a few minutes about things that can be the source of a frazzled mind or an anxious soul. And I'm going to read some of them, and they're going to hurt some of you because you are convinced you can't live without them. But you may need to take the knife out and cut it off. And these aren't even sinful things. They're just things that could load you down and cause your your cargo to swell in protube, a protuberance, no longer streamlined. Anything that causes you to bulge needs to be removed. A weight that prevents streamlining life requires weights and burdens. Excuse me, life requires weights and burdens, but success is hindered by unnecessary burdens. If you're going to live a life, it is going to be a burden. Success is a burden, but it's a streamlined burden. And you also have to be able to recognize when you can't take on anymore. We've taught a couple times about the mystical, magical, powerful word, no. And you learn to tell people, no. And you learn to recognize your strengths and your weaknesses when you can't take on anything else. When you start to take on more than you're capable of, you violate Proverbs, which says, a man that boasts himself a false gift is like clouds without rain. So you'd rather say, I can't commit to that. I'm already maxed out. You have to know what your limitations are and quit being a man pleaser. Be able to say, I'm sorry. I don't know how to do this. I can't do this for you. 
Life is full of burdens, but you got to streamline those burdens and know how to manage them. And maybe as you grow, the next round comes around and you can take an extra bill of lading and have an extra burden upon your life. But you've got to recognize what you're good and not good at. God is so gracious to us. When you do things biblically, you grow up and you get mature. You learn how to keep home while you're still at home. And then you get your own home. And then you find yourself a gal and you court her. And then you add to your life a wife. And you enjoy that. And even if you conceive a child on your honeymoon, God gives you nine months to get things ready. And then if you find great favor in the Lord, he gives you no more than two children at once. Because if you're the octomom, you're in trouble. But he gives you typically one child at a time. And the soonest you can have another child might be 10, 11, 12 months. And that gives you time to expand the tent of your habitation and get used to you and your wife. And your wife gets used to being the caregiver and the nurse for the baby. And then the Lord, if he gives you another baby, won't be here for another year or so. Other folks spaced it out a little bit more. And the Lord slowly expands you. We're not dogs. We don't have a litter of 7 to 12 at a time because we can't handle that. Can you say thank you, Jesus? Amen. Lord, help us. Life has burdens, but even when you start on a job, you don't start off at the top position. They grow you into it, and they trust you with more experience. And when you're wise, you tell your boss, I can't handle anymore. When you're a fool or insecure or a liar, you say, I can do that. I can do that. And then you end up getting fired because you're a liar and you can't do it. Life requires weights and burdens, but success is hindered by unnecessary, or we might say illegal burdens. These burdens become stressors. Modern man has more stressors than ever before. We have the internet. We have sports. We have hobbies. We have food and foodies. That's that new hobby of just existing to try, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, $30 coffee whatever your foodie thing is. I'm not against food, and I like exotic food, but yeah. Games. We got careers now. People are trying to be career-minded people at games. When you date a guy and his like, big claim to life is he's a Twitch streamer who plays games, that's not a winner. When I was growing up, nobody was dumb enough to think, I want, when I grow up, I want to be a gamer. We had reality in our head back then. We wanted to be things like astronauts, police officers, firefighters. We wanted to be a doctor, maybe a cowboy. That's what boys wanted to be. Girls wanted to be teachers and nurses and maybe a doctor. Yeah. Now we want to be Twitch streamers and social media influencers and dog moms. <laughs> yeah. We have distractions like our children and then kids' sports, pets, pets' health, social media, a lot of distractions, and we have to manage all of these. And part of managing these things is your domain. This is yours to control. Nobody forces you to buy two game consoles. Nobody forces you to get on three social media accounts and try to win friends and feel important. Nobody... Nobody teaches you to go into debt eating out too much and gaining 50 pounds in a month. That, that's your doing. So this is all our domain. So the basics is 
You have to have a plan for your life that is basic like everybody else's. You manage your money, you manage your time, you manage your weight, you manage your entertainment, and your life is supposed to be accomplishing something for Jesus so that when you die, we don't have to lie about how great you are. We can say they were faithful to Jesus, they helped build the local church, loved taking short-term mission trips, raised four kids. We see all 12 of their great-grandkids here. We know you miss Mamaw. She's in heaven with her reward now. And then there are funerals where you do where you say, well, I'm not eulogizing this bum. I'm going to preach the gospel to the rest of the bums. Because you can't say anything good about them, not and be a liar. So you just use it. I think this is going to be a gospel funeral. I'm just going to preach the gospel. <laughs> Mental health is affected by our life's protuberances. You and I know when our life is burdened down and it's creaking and our wagon is protubing. I'm making up that word. It's not a real word. You, life is a tunnel, and if you're protubing, you're going to snag the sides, and you're not going to be able to go forward. <laughs> Paul said, I'm caught between a rock and a, between a twixt, a rock and a hard place. Yeah, because he's probably protubing a little bit, and he got wedged in there really good. So all of our friends come and they see our slide out here. I was just telling Josh Smith, who's a bigger guy, he said, I'd like to go to that slide. I said, no. He said, yeah, I'd probably get stuck. I joke with everybody about getting stuck. I think it could swallow a very large man, and we might have to put some Pam in there and pull him out the other end. But <laughs> Some things in life, you can't go through dragging as much baggage as some of us carry. And our mental health, if we want to call it that, our stress, our six inches of gray matter between our ears, it frets about managing all this in our life. And it ends up costing us peace. And many of these things we picked up without the Lord's permission. That is why we take our time with our decision making and say, Lord, do I have permission? Lord, would you let me do this? Because the more stuff you pick up, the more you have to care for it. The more it's going to have to play into your decision-making equation. Whether you go on vacation, do you go local, is it a staycation? When you have 10 dogs, you don't take vacations. Because you can't take 10 dogs with you, or at least you shouldn't. So who's going to stay and feed them? Are you going to be fretting over that dog while you're gone? What happens if something happens to the dog and the baby, the dog sitter has to call you and say, three of the dogs got in a fight, killed two of the other dogs, the other dogs jumped in, and it was just a dog fight. And is that going to, you're going to come off your cruise? Did you have permission from God to take on 10 dogs? How does that affect your tithe? Are you able to give to the missionary or does all your loose money go towards the 10 dogs? And then what will you do when they get sick? Wheeze here is country, and a lead pill solves any dog problem. You have to know where to inject it. <laughs> That's how country folk deal with it, not dog moms. <laughs> That's always a winner. I've been talking for about 10 years of producing a video called Planned Puppyhood. Talk about puppy abortions. As much as this nation wants to abort babies, 
I figured let's abort puppies. See how the progressives respond to that. It's just storyboarded in my mind. It's all laid out. My catchphrase at the end, and I will probably use the female word for a dog, is that your bee's pregnancy should not inconvenience you. How do you think that'll go on YouTube? Anyway. Mental health is affected by life's protuberances, which we can usually control if we're smart enough. You can control the burdens of your life if you're smart enough to. And I think we are. But we also have to recognize what the culture tries to put on us and what Jesus Christ requires of us. All culture, eventually, any culture of any civilization, any nation, any tribe, any rural area, any geographical area, eventually grows to put burdens and expectations on the body of Christ to hinder the Christian. And you have to be able to recognize when your culture is no longer worth honoring because it's trying to put a burden on you. An undue responsibility. Jesus Christ was really good at cross-plowing Jewish culture. And remember, he told the one guy, uh, let the dead bury their dead. Would you skip your dad's funeral to follow Jesus? Or, or would the Southern culture hold you to that? Some of you, I'm proud of you. Your family had a funeral on Sunday and you said, or Wednesday, I'm going to the house of God. We could have picked any day of the week to have this dead person's funeral. And you picked the Lord's day. I loved Uncle Chuck. But I'm not going to his funeral. I'm going to the house of God. And then I'd also say shame on any one of you that skipped the house of God to go honor a dead man who probably went to hell. Remember, Jesus said, the man said, Jesus, I'll follow you. If he was a modern preacher, the preacher would say, yay, let me go bury my dead. Yeah, you go do that and then come. Jesus said, what is that to me? What does your dead dad have to do with me? You claim you want to follow me? Let the dead bury the dead. Take up your cross and follow me. That's cross-plowing culture that's trying to put a burden that would hinder a man from following Jesus Christ. We're all for funerals. We do them all the time. But you don't put them before Jesus Christ. It irritates me when family members want to put a funeral on the Lord's Day. Why not do it on Saturday? Well, that's our time. We're on the boat on Saturday. How about do it Friday night? Well, that's date night. Do it Monday. Well, that's work week. Oh, so let's just put the worship of the dead on God's day. I would encourage you, never go to a funeral on a Sunday if it costs you the house of God. If it's at a 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you can go swing in and honor the dead, so be it. Be back in the house of God. But we don't honor the dead. They're dead. I was reading uh, either in the Talmud today, Barashat or... Sakat doesn't matter. The Jews said, thankfully, Yahweh, they always write it in Hebrew, Yahweh designed the body to decay so that we cannot hurt or miss them when they're gone. Just love the succinctness of the sages from about 200 BC. Thankfully, Yahweh designed the body to decay so it cannot be honored, venerated, or worshiped. And when it's gone, they're just gone. Pretty good. I don't know why those Catholics mummify those popes and put them in glass boxes so you can go shake their hand, kiss the ring, or do whatever you do with them. It's pretty weird. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Amen. 
we're smart enough to catch it, we can control these protuberances. And if we're willing to do the hard part, we can eliminate them. If we're willing to do the hard part. Now, here's where this gets tricky for us. When things start to become this protuberance and our wagon begins to swell or our ship begins to swell and we're no longer streamlined, usually by then our heart is so knit with whatever the burden is, with whatever the responsibility is, we can't imagine our life without it. We're just, we're thinking, how could I ever get rid of the 10 dogs? The kids love them. How could we ever not be committed to seven sports? How could we ever not be a part of the drama center or the symphony or, or uh, how could we ever not have season tickets to the Preds or season tickets to the Titans? How, that's just who we are. How could we ever not take a six month vacation to the lake? By the time you recognize that it's hindering your walk with Christ, your heart is so deceived and knit and tied up with that thing. You can't imagine any other lifestyle. I once asked, I'm trying to see how I can phrase this. I once asked Dr. Barclay how he felt about his snowbirds. Those are the Yankees who spend half the year in Florida when it's warmer and then half the year in Yankeeville when it's warmer up there. Because you can't build a church with a snowbird. And he said, it used to make me so angry. Why? He's trying to build the kingdom. He said, but now, eh, I'm just happy to have them when I get them. That tells me he learned to build the kingdom without them. But I guarantee you, that's a weird culture. We Southerners think y'all are weird and selfish. That's how we judge that as Southern Christians. They can't imagine not having six months in the South which means the pastor in the North gets shortchanged and the pastor in Florida gets shortchanged. They can't ever see themselves not being able to go with when they want, as they want, how they want. And who are you to try to stop me, preacher? That's a protuberance. You'll never be of great value to the kingdom, maybe mediocre value, but you're so committed to it. This is just, this is where our ship floats. So you can't be promoted. You can't, you can't make an elder out of that person. You can't make a deacon out of that person. They live for them. And they're convinced of it in their own mind. Furthermore, this is a totally modern construct. Just like the vacation is a total modern construct. But we're so convinced of it now. If I don't get my four weeks of vacation a year, I'm going somewhere else. The problem with these emotional or mental protuberances is once we develop them, it's hard to imagine being without them. And so we start making excuses. We recently totally quit all gymnastics. We never had any delusions that my kids would ever be anything Olympic. Besides that, the Olympic kids all get molested. So I knew that years ago. We weren't ever going to be NCAA because I'm not going to give my kids 40 hours of gymnastics a week. But we had done gymnastics for six years. And when you do gymnastics, it's all year round. There at the end, we were going to gymnastics four times a week between Abigail and Lydia, 50 weeks out of the year. I, I didn't understand that it was that much. It just grew slowly into our life. 
it did become a protuberance. I told my wife, we'll do it as long as we have permission from God. We'll do it as long as they'll honor God. We'll do it as long as we feel like it. And uh, when we stop feeling like it, we just pull out of it. So you think about Lydia. She did it from the time she was four to the time she's 10. It's all she's known. She was going to gymnastics three times a week for the last, I don't know, two years, my wife could tell you, working out 9, 10, 11, 12 hours a week at the gym. What else is she going to do, though, which is how I justified it. So after Abigail broke her arm for the second time at gymnastics and Lydia cracked her head open with a plate, I said, this is enough. I'm done with this. Now, I've been wa walk, walking and warming my heart up that way for about a year because I was tired of paying a lot of money to have to miss uh, gymnastics meets because they would not put them on Saturdays or Fridays. They were always on Sundays. And we asked them, why don't you honor God? And they said they thought they did. And we said, no, you're not. So when you pay a couple thousand a year to only go to like a fifth of your, your meats, before long you got to cut your costs. So I was already warming up to it. So when I said, all right, Abigail's broken her arm again, I'm done. There's no protuberance to me. I'm not committed to this thing. But it was hard on my wife because she knows all the moms and has for six years. Got to be close to all of them. It's what we do. We're up there four days a week. I got to know a couple of the dads, but nothing really close. It's very hard on the girls because that's all they knew. For me, it's not hard because I don't get emotionally attached to this stuff. But once we did quit, we did feel backslidden because now all of a sudden we have five nights a week at home. What are we, why are we home at 5.30? We should be somewhere till 8.30. We should be coming home, barely spending any time with our kids except to pray with them, read a Bible story with them, and then go to bed and then do this stupid thing all over again tomorrow knowing they're never going to go NCAA. So it took about two or three weeks to detox from something that's totally neutral, except the protuberance slowly grew. You, you couldn't see the, the wells, the gunnels of my ship expand under the burden of ch childhood children gymnastics. But when we finally got off the boat and got the burden off, those gunnels went straight. And we realized, actually, I don't know how much I wasted on gymnastics. I don't want my wife to tell me because she said it would upset me. Did you know gymnastics leotards cost $500? A swimsuit with sequins. I guess special hands stitched those sequins on. I said, how much have we been spending? Because I don't run the money. She said, well, that last leotard by itself was $500. I said, no, never mind. Don't, don't. You're going to make me angry. I don't want to know what we've been spending on gymnastics. The key is, can you cut your losses when you realize this is a zero-sum game? This is a failed endeavor. Because a fool will keep pushing it, chasing the distraction, wondering why we're stressed, wondering where our money is, wondering where is, why don't our kids love us? Well, my, my girls learn about bisexuality on the gymnastics team. All excited about having their period and getting their boobs because they're running with kids with periods and boobs. And this is not a conversation we're ready to have yet. Why are my kids losing innocence? Thankfully, it was just that. Because the protuberance doesn't grow overnight because you would say, no. So if you're smart enough, you'll catch it. And then do you have the courage to do the hard part, which is get rid of it? Cold turkey. And your heart can get attached to anything, a dog, a sport, an event, a team, an in-law, an outlaw, a relative, a job. 
I've had to help some of you walk away from jobs because you felt like you were backsliding away from Jesus for just changing a job and going across town to a better paying job. It's almost Stockholm Syndrome. It's more money. Just go. Be happy. It's less hours. Less perverts around you. Go. I don't know. Can't see the... You get addicted to the protuberance and wondering why you're running so low in the water. Why you're so slow. Why you're breathing so hard on those sails, but you're not going any faster. Eliminated. The often given excuse is this. It's not really that bad. Or, how can we do without it? Or, what what will we do? What will we do now? I don't know what our personal raise was from quitting gymnastics, but we have all of our evenings together. We jumped into uh, soccer real quick, and I said, do we really want to jump into soccer real quick? My wife said, it's four weeks and we're done. I said, sign us up, because... It's one practice a week and one game a week, and then you're done in four weeks. How can you not sign up for that? (laughs) I've been doing gymnastics four days a week for like 200 weeks in a row. (laughs) At $500 a sparkly swimsuit. (laughs) With a kid who's never going anywhere with it. (laughs) You got to start figuring out where your stressors. Because if they're still stressing you, obviously you're not graced to handle it. If you're graced to handle it, it knocks you down once, you master it twice. We really take on ourselves things the world hands us that we're not lawfully graced by God to handle. And what that does is it affects us. The world system is set up to do this to us because when you're always fighting stress, you're always fighting anxiety, you're always fighting depression, you're always fighting hopelessness, you're always fighting lack of some, uh, a supply, lack of funds, uh, you can't really do a lot for the Lord. We are supposed to be burden removers. We're not supposed to be always fighting burdens in our life. There is a place for the kingdom to help lift burdens off of each other. But when you're always fighting a burden, you're failing the gospel mandate. We're supposed to live our lives because only one thing is necessary. One thing is the necessity. Everything else is disposable. And when one thing is necessary and everything else is disposable, you'll understand why the world wants to put so many things on you to bog you down and slow your life because then you're not of any value to the kingdom. You're just a dead weight. They say in combat, uh, you don't really want to shoot to kill. You want to shoot to injure. Is that right? Sergeant, not Sergeant, Private First Class Andrews served in the military in Afghanistan. If you shoot to kill, they just drop dead. But if you injure, it takes two more guys to carry. So the devil doesn't want to kill us. He just wants to injure us so that we have to be carried At some point in your Christian walk, you stop requiring me or the elders or a mentor carrying you because you got fixed. How long will it take you to be able to walk on your own two legs? How long will it take before you're strong enough to bear others' burdens? How long before you can recognize your burdens are your fault? Amen. We're not supposed to be a barge. We're supposed to be a a kingdom battleship. We're not supposed to be a tugboat. (laughs) We're supposed to be this streamlined thing that does great things for God. We've made the body of Christ, the kingdom, into a cruise ship instead of a battleship. We're on deck, feeding our faces, uh, dancing to Jamaican reggae in the steel drums, playing volleyball with a bunch of old blue hairs we don't even know in the pool. 
going for all that. You can eat 24-hour pizza buffet. <laughs> Meanwhile, the enemy's coming at us, loading their cannons, and we just think it's the love boat. And the Lord says, you're at war, guys. Amen. 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 We think it's the fireworks going off, but not it's the enemy's shots across our bow. So let me give you a couple things that are stressors and then what you can do about it. I've only got six things here. I could probably have made this a list of ten, but just to, for simplicity's sake, power of pastoring is repetition. Let's repeat this again. At some point, you've got to grow up and stop being the burden. And that begins by finding the burdens you've built in your own life and doing something about it. You all have a great calling in Christ to do a great work for him, something you couldn't dream up 25 years ago, something you still can't dream up today. But you'll never find it living like an American. You'll never find it living like your mama's culture taught you to live, unless she was a Holy Ghost woman of God and taught you how to live for Jesus. And coming through most cultures, that isn't 100% pure anymore. So let me give you a list. Things that stress us. No particular order, just me writing it down. Uh, when you run out of time, when you never have enough time, that's a stressor. Lack of time. Here's how it sounds in our little town. I'm just so busy. Really? Now, are you like Washington, D.C. politician busy? Or like Putnam County busy? Are you Elon Musk, 110 hour a work week busy? Or are you like White County busy? Are you NASA engineer busy? <laughs> or are you like Jackson County busy? Amen. We all have the same amount of day, hours in the day, and our lives all accomplish something different. And so the solution is time management. If you don't manage your time or control your day, somebody else will. Something else will. The world system will. Time is the one thing you do control. Time is the one thing you have total control over. You just use the word, no. No, I'm getting up now. No, I'm going to bed now. No, I'm not watching another four episodes. No, I'm not going to scroll on this feed for another 15 minutes and have nothing to show for my life but fear of missing out and comparison syndrome. No, boss, my contract says 40 hours a week. I've given you 50. I'm done. Amen. No, coach, we won't be at the meet. It's on Sunday. And we honor God because he is the one necessary thing. This is a dumb sport anyway. Amen. For Lydia's first game, she got to play a whole entire half. Actually, she might have played the whole game. She practiced for 50 minutes the day before, played a whole game. And I looked at my wife and I realized we've only been doing soccer two days. And she's already had more competition time than like six years of gymnastic meets combined. Because if you ever watch gymnastics, their whole total time of competition is two minutes. And that's with a long floor routine. Probably a minute and a half because you got the vault. What's that? Five seconds. Bars, maybe 15 seconds. And then you got beam, another 15 seconds, maybe 30. So she played an hour. That was her, the total time of gymnastics in six years. 
I could have bought a new car. I didn't say Alexis or Mercedes, but I could have bought a new car. I'm pretty sure. My wife's hiding the numbers. Huh. Could have had a third car. We, just, we got leotards, though. Got lots of them. They sparkle. Get on a time budget. Regulate your day. There's no reason to ever be late. You have a smartphone, don't you? You know how to set events, add an alarm. You can actually add two of them, 15 minutes before, 30 minutes before, an hour before, a day before. You can even set a week before. It's revolutionary. Make it go off and remind you. There's no reason to ever be late to anything, especially not consistency, consistently. Some of you, your life is defined by late. You're going to be late for the rapture. The Lord's going to have to send like a straggler bus to pick up three or four of you, and you're probably going to miss that because <laughs> you're just late to everything else. Your whole life is defined by late because you have no time management. So that produces stress. So your whole life is behind the eight ball. So you're always a day late and a dollar short, and you're always rushing in at the last minute because you don't regulate your time. And if you can't regulate your time, the rest of your life is shot. Amen. Number two. Another stressor is lacking purpose or vision. That can be a tremendous stressor. The reason why is you don't feel like you're accomplishing anything, especially when you compare yourself to quote-unquote successful people. But the solution to this is very easy. If you have to, make a list of the basics that you know need to be done every day anyway. Keep a clean house, apartment, or house trailer. Keep a clean car. Keep clean clothes. Some of you, you have a washer and dryer in your home. You should use it. Learn how to shave more than once a week. These are things you can do to organize and bring purpose to your life. Get on a budget, financial budget. Read your Bible every day. Pray every day. Witness to at least one person a day, even if it's just say, hey, man, you go to church anywhere? This can give you instant purpose. These are the basics of life. This is the basics of the kingdom. Your life ought to be doing them every day. If your life is still a mess after six months, I cannot help you. Because this is the same stuff I teach over and over and over and over and over again. God doesn't promote people hard of hearing. And he doesn't promote undisciplined people. Because that would reflect poorly on his kingdom. Develop a daily routine that revolves around the basics of life. And that will give you purpose. And once you master that, God will show you the next bigger step. You ought to be the best worker on your job. You should not work for the kingdom better than you do your boss. You should not serve your pastor or your department better than you do your boss. Because that's not fair. You're showing the Lord you have the ability, you just don't have the interest. And that's going to condemn you on your career. You should work for your boss just as hard as you do for your pastor. If you've got that inverted, repent to both your boss and your pastor. Amen. Even if they're a bad boss, you should give them 110% because it glorifies God. Number three, another stressor that some of us have to beat. I was setting my heart on the congregation, figuring out what I could throw on this list to help us. 
Number three stressor is the fear of failure. Fear of failure. There should be a reverential fear that we will come short of the glory of God. Now, we're all going to sin regularly and need to repent and confess our sin and be washed and cleansed again. But I remember they asked Billy Graham probably 20 years ago, what's the one thing you're most fearful of? And this is, I'm trying to give you the anecdote, a little bit of a, maybe, a, maybe the question wasn't identical or exactly accurate, but his response was this. So this is what I remember. He said, I just want to hope I will be able to hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. That was a concern to Billy Graham. To us, he would look successful. He knew maybe what he was struggling with in private. There ought to be that healthy fear, but he was doing all that he knew to do. I'm talking about you're just afraid you're never going to go anywhere. You're, just, you're afraid you're not going to graduate. You're afraid you're going to take the wrong job. You're afraid you're going to marry the wrong person. Fear, 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 fear. You got to get to the root of that. One, the thing you can do to beat that fear, if you need to do this, make a list of everything leaders in your life require of you. And if you can accomplish everything the leaders of your life require of you, there's no reason to fear anything. What's your boss require of you? Make sure you know the company handbook, employee handbook, safety handbook. Know when to be there and when to leave. Know what the boss expects of you. This <laughs> employees today are telling you and me they're dealing with a generation of morons. So they're actually communicating a lot more simple than they ever have. You and I can master this. Make a list of everything your, if it's in church, your department head requires of you. Make a list of everything God's requiring of you. I've taught you this. Let's teach it again. All of you are pretty good note takers. I appreciate that about you. You're all writing different things down on any given sermon. What you ought to do about once a month is go back and read through your notes. It will take you 15, maybe 20 minutes and see what things you keep copying down. Because though I might teach four services a week, if I do Sunday school, you're going to end up writing the same thing down over and over and over again because God is dealing with you on those one or two or three areas. So if it's the Lord, that's on your list. What are the two or three things you keep seeing appear over and over again in your service notes? Because I can teach on the Levitical priesthood. God's going to deal with you about forgiveness. I can teach on Melchizedek. God's going to deal with you about forgiveness. I can teach on healing. God's going to deal with you about forgiveness. And you're going to say, I, I think the Lord wants me to forgive. That's what you work on. It's that simple. You don't know how to even need, you don't need to spell Melchizedek. Just Forgive. If you got nothing out of the message on Melchizedek, but you need to forgive, then that's a winner, winner, chicken dinner sermon for you. Just do it. Where the, the fool hits it is, oh, they know Melchizedek. They can spell it. They know where it is in Psalms and Hebrews. Oh, and where it's foreshadowed there in Genesis. Oh, yeah, I know all about it. But you haven't forgiven Aunt Agnes yet. So you're a failure. And the thing you feared the most has come upon you. You feared failure. There you are failing because you can spell Melchizedek, but you didn't hear the Lord say, forgive, forgive, forgive. So if you're afraid of failure, practice doing all you've been taught and told to do. And God's gracious. We might teach on a regular basis from the new believer to the senior saint getting ready for the mission field. But God will address all of you wherever you're at, at that level of growth. 
And what the Lord deals with Pastor Caleb and Miss Tiffany on, he's not dealing with you about because you're in a totally different place in the kingdom. So you're not responsible for their work. You're responsible for yours. That's how you can beat this mental stressor called fear of failure. If I were to sit down with you in private and you tell me you're afraid, I'd ask you of what? And then I would probably tell you, are you doing everything we teach you to do? And the answer would always be no. And that internal condemnation or conviction, I don't care how you want to split it, that's why you're afraid. Because you're already condemned knowing you don't do what you're taught to do. And if you don't do what I teach publicly from the Word of God, this is where I'm the most anointed right here, why would I meet with you for an hour in private just to tell you the same thing I told you when I was wearing a suit? You're not going to do it in private. Our worst enemy is not the devil. It's the flesh and those six inches in between our ears we have trouble conquering. They conquered Normandy in half a day. We're struggling with six inches between our ears for 40 years. Huh. Number four, eliminating stressors. Number four, kind of steps off a little bit, hobbies. Hobbies can be stressors. So judge yourself. Some of you don't have any hobbies. I would tell you, go get one. Really, because it'll put you around people and you can let your light shine. You might be able to minister and become friends with somebody. I think everybody should have a hobby. And there's nothing wrong with a hobby. Just like with uh, Martha, there's nothing wrong with hospitality. You just don't get obsessed over it. So now on the other flip side, some of us might be consumed of hobbies and hobbies will always suck time and money. And you can tell when the hobby has become the idol when more time and more money goes to the hobby than it does the kingdom. And you should never put more time or more money into a hobby than you do the kingdom. It becomes an idol at that point, and the Lord will judge you for idolatry. So how do we budget that, or how do we balance that? Well, you, your time and your money has to be budgeted. And so that budget, the, the time budget... And the money budget dictates your hobbies. We quit doing gymnastics because we didn't have the time and I was quite tired of paying money for medical bills, honestly. The reason I don't have a boat is I don't have the time or the money. I could come up with both, but it's not important to me. We don't have an RV because that's not important to me either. My hobbies are what are important to me and thank the Lord they're cheap. And I can do most of them in a day or two at most, and I get my fill, and I'm good for another month or two. You, you got to judge yourself and see where your hobbies are ruining your life. It might be video games. I don't think there's anything wrong with a good neutral video game that's not perverse or graphic or, or wicked, but that can easily become an idol too. Women don't typically get caught up with video games, but guys do because it gives them a sense of success. Most men who get caught up with video games, and I'm not using this term mockingly, but just hear me. Most guys who get caught up with video games have daddy issues. So they never had a dad that affirmed them and encouraged them and challenged them and spent time with them and taught them how to master things and how to get good at things. So there's a void in their heart. They hop on a game console and they get all that in the first two hours. And it's addictive. So please... Don't take out your daddy issues on a game console. Spend time with Jesus Christ. 
play a video game for an hour if you want to, but you shouldn't be on that thing every day. That's weird. Let me be very clear. Video games every day is weird. You got better things to do with your life. Amen. Amen. Let your time and money budget dictate your life, especially for kids' sports and kids' programs. And the more kids you have, the more sports they want to play, the more programs they want to be in. And you got to realize that you can't be everywhere at once. And your kids need to learn no from time to time. They're going to hear no the rest of their life from real adults. You should be the first adults they really meet. (laughs) So they ought to learn disappointment at a young age. And then to balance disappointment, you teach them thankfulness. We may not get to go to the water park for the fourth time this month, but we can be thankful we have a slip and slide in the backyard. We can be thankful we have two legs. Amen. Number five. Possessions can be the source of a lot of stress. And the funny thing about a lot of these, these last three things we're looking at, we're, we're getting ready to close here in a minute, or two, or ten. We often fill our lives with hobbies and possessions because our soul is broken somewhere else. So it becomes a balm of Gilead for our soul. We, we buy shoes, or we buy handbags or we buy sports memorabilia because we look forward to getting something in the mail or we look forward to having a collection. And I'm not against having a collection, but when you collect everything and all of them from all over the world and you have to build a room onto your house to house it, that's a little weird and it might be excessive. If you have the money, great, but if your soul's broken, it's probably detrimental to your soul. And it gets downright weird. I never met a normal person that had an owl collection. All these little owl figurines, there's a weird juju. To, and I don't get it. Owls are God's creature. They're beautiful. They're amazing. They eat animals. But you get around somebody with an owl collection, they're weird. Same with little glass kittens and porcelain. People that collect cats are weird. Not against a good yard barn cat. You know, one cat, but it gets weird. But typically, the weird was in their soul first. When you have a lot of possessions, they require a lot of maintenance. You can have a big property, but you've got to worry about who's going to take care of it. You have a car collection, but what happens if mice get into the console? You're always worried, 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 worried. Ecclesiastes says when, when, when produce increases, so do the mouths that want to eat it. When stuff increases... So you got to be careful with possessions. I would say how you fix that is consider streamlining your life. We've, we've presented this concept to you before. There's, I can't explain it. I don't have scripture for it, but we've all experienced it. A house feels totally different empty as opposed to hoarded. It's a different vibe, and it's all material stuff. There's a different... Nay, I say energy, vibe, juju. There's just something different. You could decord the house and put minimalist furniture in there and it had a totally different feeling as well. So what about the hoarder and the collector? I've dealt with them. You probably have too. You find something at the bottom of the stack of junk and you say, can we get rid of this? Oh, oh, I've been looking for that. I have that there because I might need it. 
that person needs deliverance. That's weird. And they can't let go of it. It's a stressor. When you can walk into your house and say, Lord, I'll give that away. I'll give that away. I'll give that away. Is there anything here, Lord, you want me to get rid of, throw in the trash, just bless somebody with? I got so much stuff, Lord. I don't even really need it. What can I do? Lord, I need to streamline. That's a free soul. But when you start hoarding all of it and collecting it and calling it your precious, you're like Gollum. You're going to go weird. And it may take you to that lake of fire like it did Gollum. I can tell you I've only watched those movies once because I have more important things to do than watch 30 hours of midgets running around chasing orcs. The super extended director's cut. Now with 19 hours of more footage. I watched every one of those opening day. And when I got done, I said, I can't even tell the difference between this one and the last one. I'll never need to watch it again. And I have kept that oath. <laughs> Possessions. Only one thing is necessary, and it's not your cat collection. Only one thing is necessary, and it's not your comic book collection. Only one thing is necessary, and it's not your hoarding collection. Only one thing is necessary, and that's Jesus Christ. Final thing. I've already hit on it a little bit. Pets. Pets. I'm not against a dog or a cat. But when you start recreating Noah's Ark <laughs> in your apartment, you got issues. Because there's a stressor there. These are things that produce stress. Possessions produce stress. Hobbies produce stress. Fear of failure produces stress. I'm trying to show you how to get a hold of your mind. What we do in charismatic circles is we want hands laid on us to fix the hurt. And then you go home and the nail's still in your arm. You go home and the gangrenous wound is still open. And you think we can fix it with the anointing oil and the power of the Holy Ghost. And you think just because you hit the ground under the power of God, all your fear, all your emotional trauma is done. But it's not because you're not going to change anything at home. You're still going to be hurt. Same with pets. I'm not against one. You start doing two or three Hopefully you have an acreage. I don't think you should have more than a cat in an apartment because it's rude and inconsiderate to your neighbors. If you got a bunch of them, give them away. I don't, I don't think you realize they're made out of food. And there's nothing we don't adopt as a fur baby that some brother in Christ isn't eating for dinner tonight. Our culture is perverse. It's only the Westerners that adopt animals as children. It's perverse. It's demonic. Psalms 8 says, He has put all living creatures under our feet. And then what we do is we go and act the heretic and we promote the four-footed beast that's under our feet to our equal and call it our child or our fur baby or dog grandma, that's heresy. It's blasphemous. And if it doesn't seem like heresy to you, it shows you how devoid of judgment your brain has become living in this culture. We have brothers and sisters in Christ around the world tonight, folks we'll spend eternity in heaven with, who are eating what you would call a fur baby, a dog, a cat, we have folks who have pigs for pets. None of us have a problem eating bacon. 
everything that grows on a farm gets eaten, and we somehow made a domesticated family member out of it. And we don't have biblical permission to do that. It's heresy. It's you playing God when God says that's under your feet, and you say, well, Lord, I'm going to promote it to family now. It's messed up. And we have brothers and sisters in Christ that come to our nation and they look at the church in love with their pets and they judge us as inferior saints. And they wonder what's wrong with us. So I don't have a problem with a barn cat or a good yard dog or a guard dog or a junkyard dog. Or if you're training dogs to be real therapy dogs, those are the ones that cost thousands of dollars. You don't just adopt them from the kennel. Real therapy dogs that come with certificates, the ones that can dial 911 for you and smell bombs, that's a therapy dog. This other stuff is just a bunch of weirdos looking for attention. And then I get it. I've got folks, I know I've got pastor friends of mine, they train real therapy dogs. It's a side job they do. These are $8,000 dogs that they give to real Vietnam, or real vets and real handicapped people. <laughs> Not this. I found this on the side of the road, and this is my therapy pet. If you got a menagerie of pets, give some away to a cook somewhere. <laughs> the reason it's hard is you have unlawfully set your affections on food. And so the Bible calls that inordinate affection. You have set human love upon a pet to where you've begun to intimate with it as if it were your equal. That's how perverse the heart is. This is my baby. That's why you let him lick your mouth. Sleep in your bed. Do you know how foreign this is to Africans? <laughs> we had uh, a Nigerian basketball player used to attend our church. She went to tech. And when her brother came to visit from Nigeria, there was a stray cat on the back deck. He went and got the machete. <laughs> her name was Victoria. He was about to hack the cat to death. And she said, no, 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 no. These people value these animals. And he said, what? <laughs> Is that right, Ty? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can't just kill him. Watch me. There's something perverse in the American heart. It's like we ran out of things to really focus on. I'm not against your dog or your cat, but when it's the joy of your life, Jesus Christ told a servant of his, one thing is necessary, and it isn't Mr. Mittens or Bugsy or Charlie. I had a Jack Russell Terrier called Charlie one time. Spastic little dog. He would chase that laser pointer halfway up a wall, though. <laughs> yeah, that Charlie's not the necessity of life. And neither is your fur baby. You should repent. It's idolatry. It's really sick transhumanism to set your love upon an animal. It's really weird when you think about it. But that's what our culture teaches us. So these are stressors. 
You have control. You have dominion. Dominion over your time. You have dominion over your money. You have dominion over your soul. But more importantly, you have dominion over your bill of lading. You have dominion over what gets put in your life. You control it. Don't let people put stuff on you unless they have permission from God to. You got to learn to tell your boss no sometimes. And I'm all for submitting to your boss and being the best employee. But you know how bosses are. They'll take more than they are willing to pay. You have got to use your dominion to keep snakes out of your garden. That's where we see dominion first is in the garden and that authorization to keep and tend the garden to make sure every creeping thing, every, every hindrance is kept out. That you might have beautiful fruit, you might have a beautiful garden, you might have wonderful fellowship with the Lord in that thing. Everything in this world clamors for your attention and your time. And if you don't put up barriers and mindful of what you're capable of handling, you will hurt yourself. I have to do this as a pastor. I have to make sure that we don't overextend ourselves or I don't take on more responsibility than I can. A while back, somebody was asking me if I ever turned down preaching engagements. And I said, I have, but I totally forgot about the mission trips. I honestly, even today, I could probably be in a different country every other week if I wanted to be by the sheer number of invitations we have and requests. We just taught... We just recorded a message for Seattle that goes out in a week or two. I just taught in Albania for four weeks in a row via Skype. I just did a recording for Pretoria, South Africa for the Congolese church. Pastor Abungu just asked if I could do four services in a row for him and pre-record it. And these are churches that if I said, can I come, they'd host me for a month if I wanted to. That's a burden I can't bear. I don't have permission from God. It would tax this church. It would tax our finances. It would tax my marriage. It would tax my children. But you know what? God would show up. He would use me. And the people would be blessed. And everything back here would dry up. So you have to learn what to say no to. And recognize when you have permission from God to adopt a puppy. To keep as a puppy and not a child. Something wrong when you buy clothes for an animal. I don't... I don't I don't know if you know this or not. They already have coats on. That's messed up. And if you do that, I want you to know I'm secretly judging you in my heart. People buying Halloween outfits for their dog. I don't even have words. And when's the last time you gave an offering to a missionary? I hope, I hope you at least have a budget so you can track how much of God's money you're wasting on food. <laughs> how about you help Jean-Paul put clothes on those orphans in Madagascar rather than your stupid mutt? I don't have a problem. At least be like uh, Tom's shoes. Buy an outfit for your dog. Buy an outfit for an orphan in Madagascar. Remember humans? Remember when we cared for humans? Remember when they were the Great Commission? Remember that. I don't have a problem if you spend 15 bucks on a dog as long as you're a tither and you give 15 bucks to an orphan in Africa. Otherwise, you're unfit for this kingdom. Because one thing is necessary, and all of our stress comes from allowing things into our boat that aren't necessary. Amen?